Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. We're in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, part 4 of our Victorious series. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 of Hebrews 11. Folks, you know, we live in a society that has made us very cautious about accepting truth claims. It's hard to know who or what to believe anymore. In fact, the, the internet is filled with all sorts of supposed news on topics that range from politics to the economy to world affairs to medicine to conspiracies. And all of the writers claim that their stories are true. Now, even though the, the, the facts that these self-purported experts are spouting regularly contradict each other. You know, and even when we uh, do question you know, something that we read, whether or not it's actually true, inevitably some, someone's going to respond this way. This way, they're going to say, well, yeah, I, I know it's hard to believe, but uh, you're just going to have to take it on faith. Really? No, I don't think so. You see, is faith really jumping blindly into belief? It's not. And we're going to discuss that more at length this morning. Throughout the Bible, you see a whole different concept of faith. In fact, the author of the book of Hebrews has provided us with a wonderful passage that has encouraged a lot of believers in times of persecution and, and struggle and trial and suffering. In fact, the word faith occurs uh, 27 times. And the expression by faith occurs 22 times in this chapter. And so Hebrews 11 really provides real life examples of people who faced overwhelming situations and yet lived peacefully through them. Even when God called them to believe some pretty incredible things. And as Christians, we need to embrace a, a different understanding of faith than the, the jump in blindly variety that the world does. You see, these figures of the past, by their true faith, were, were approved by God. They, they pleased God. But that sort of faith doesn't have to be restricted to folks in the past. It can be evident in our lives, too. And that's part of the reason this passage exists, to motivate, motivate believers and to encourage them to also persevere in victorious faith, which really leads us to the big idea behind today's message, that my faith in God makes me victorious. Well, in today's passage, Hebrews 11, 1 through 6, we find three different aspects of true faith. All right, here we go. Number one, we find a faith that's assured in God. Look at verse 1 with me. Writer of Hebrews says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So we see two basic thoughts here at work in verse 1. 
First thing, first thing about verse 1 that I want you to notice is that faith is an inward certainty. It's an inward certainty. It means trusting God. It means believing, even knowing that he is going to do what he says he will do because he always does. Now, your English translations are going to translate that first part of, of verse 1 a little bit differently. ESV says, uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. New Living Translation says, confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. NIV says, being sure of what we hope for. The, uh, the Amplified Bible, which is the version of the Bible that really takes the original biblical words and it expands the semantic range, it calls faith the assurance, the, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for or divinely guaranteed. So faith is the certainty that God is going to do exactly what he has promised to do. Now, anything else, you know, anything based on guesswork, on wishful thinking, that's going to end in failure. God is a God who responds to a people's faith in himself and in his promises. You see, if you climbed up on top of the tallest building in downtown Texarkana and said, I'm going to jump off this building and I'm not going to hit the ground. I believe that God's going to make me fly. I have prayed for it. I have asked him to hold me up. I have a, a peace in my heart that he's going to make me fly. And in the name of Jesus, I claim it. I believe that this is his will. And so I'm going to leap off this building and he's going to make me fly. Now, before you do that, do me a favor. Tell me whether you'd like to be cremated or buried. <laughs> yeah, because it's not going to end well for you. See, here's the thing about faith. Faith must have some revelation from God, must have some promise of God as its foundation. It's the assurance that God will do exactly what he has promised to do. But it's not a leap in the dark. Because we've placed our faith in God alone, we have the inward certainty of things hoped for. But we also have this. We see that faith is an outward conviction. Look at the rest of verse 1. The ESV calls it the conviction of things not seen. NLT says evidence of things we cannot yet see. The NIV being certain of what we do not see. And the Amplified Bible translates it this way. It says uh, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. So, faith has substance. It's an assurance based on the reality of what God has already said and has already done. And we have a record of what he's already said and already done. It's called the Bible. So why would we ever doubt his promises for the future? Now, if you're one of those that likes to, you know, keep a spiritual diary, a prayer journal, blessings journal, whatever you want to call it, you know what? You also have a personal record of what God has done in your own past. And that helps you to walk in confidence as you face the future, even though you don't know what the future holds, even though you cannot yet see it. Now, not seeing doesn't have to be a deterrent to your faith, does it? I mean, what are some things that you can readily, that you can't readily see, but, but you know they're there? Well, you know, 
molecules, atoms, stuff like that. Electric wiring in the walls. Okay, well, if you want to rip off the sheetrock, you can see the electric wiring, but normally you can't see it, but you know it's working. We've got lights, we've got air conditioning. What about radio waves? Wi-Fi signals. Yeah, we know that, that they're working when the, when the pastor's serving, it's really boring and there's somebody back there, back there tweeting or you know, posting on Facebook. They're using the Wi-Fi, aren't they? Um, the medicine working in your body. You can't see it, but you can usually tell whether it's working or not. The gas in your tank, can't see that, but you know it's working because your car is still running. The wind, can't see it, but we can hear it. We know it exists because of the things that it moves. So what helps us to have faith in God even though we can't see him? Well, first and foremost, we have the scripture, the Bible. We have the word of God recorded for us. Now, as believers, we also have the guidance of the Holy Spirit impressing upon us the reality, the truth of what God says in his word. We also have his work in creation. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that God's invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. In other words, because we can see God's design and nature, there's no excuse for not believing that he exists. But, because we can see God in creation, note what the writer of Hebrews said here in verse 3. He said, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. You know what else helps us to have faith in God even when we can't see him? A changed life. A changed life. Folks, there are not many apologetics for the Christian faith that are more powerful than a life that's been transformed by God. What about answered prayer? See, because we believers accept the reality of what God has done in the past, we're willing to walk by faith as we look to the future. See, our faith is not only based on an inward certainty, but also an outward confidence. Saving faith is behaving faith. If something is real on the inside, it's going to be evident on the outside. And if our faith is not genuine, well, whatever comes out when the world squeezes us is not going to be pretty. So in verses 1 through 2, we see a faith that's assured in God. Well, then if it's real on the inside, it's going to show on the outside. Then as we move to verse 4 here in, in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to find the first hero of faith in this long list of, of Hebrews heroes from chapter 11. And not only is it somebody you might not expect, but it's also an example of, number two, a faith that's approved by God. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he was dead, he still speaks through his faith. So to support his point, the writer of Hebrews uses this example from the life of Abel. 
whose full story is recorded in Genesis chapter 4. And the tragedy of Cain and Abel, it's something that we're pretty familiar with in our culture. But you know, that story does raise some interesting questions. Most notably, why did God reject Cain's offering but accept Abel's? Well, there's a couple of things that we learn about Abel through his account. First of all, Abel's gift demonstrated his faith. Now, my, my best answer to the acceptability of Abel's offering over Cain's is that Abel was able to choose the very best of his flock to offer the God, to God, the, the firstborn of his flock. Now, on the other hand, you know, Cain seems to have been somewhat careless in his choice for his offering. So, what truly makes the offering acceptable or unacceptable was the attitudes behind those offerings. Now, additionally, you know, Abel may have had some revelation that sinful man can only approach God on the ground of shed blood. Remember the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9 said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Well, it's possible that Abel may have learned this concept from his parents, Adam and Eve, who, as you recall, were restored to fellowship with God only after he had clothed them with skins of slain animals. At any rate, he exhibited faith by approaching God with the blood of a sacrifice. And God declared him righteous, not simply because he offered a blood sacrifice, but more specifically because he offered it with an attitude of faith. Now, let's take that one step further. Was Abel's sacrifice given in faith also an act of worship? Well, yeah. Abel's gift demonstrated his faith. We've just seen that. But you see, Abel's faith drove his worship. Abel's faith was expressed as a form of worship. Worship by way of an offering, but certainly an act of worship. Now, that raises an interesting question. What is the relationship between faith and genuine worship? Of course, we know that worship is declaring God's worth, you know, with music or with words and prayer and, and giving. So it can take the form of singing or reading or declaring what we truly believe down deep in our hearts and minds about God. But, but it's so much more than just a pretty music or impressive sounding words. Worshiping in faith means that we actually acknowledge who God truly is and that we believe what God's word says about him as we worship. So, you know, worship's not about getting swept up in emotion. Although, you know, when we worship God in spirit and truth, sometimes it does affect us emotionally. But feeling good is not the motivation for our worship. God's worth is the motivation for our worship. Likewise, worship is not something we do because we like music or because we, we like good teaching. Worship is a faith response. It's me saying, I believe in you, God. I have faith that your promises are true. I have faith that you are who your word says you are. And I'm responding to that truth with celebration awe, joy, or thankfulness, because that's what you deserve. Worship is your worth-ship. So, 
Faith is confidence and trust in God. It's a response to who God is, to what he says, to how he has worked. Now, Abel expressed that, that confidence, that faith through his worship. But here's the thought. You know, by this example of Abel and all the others that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, we gain an understanding of what it really means to leave behind a legacy of faith. Okay, so then what are some ways that our influence as people of faith affect those who follow us? Well, most obvious is the, the life that we're living before watchful eyes of family and friends and coworkers and neighbors and, and relatives. It's evident in what we teach our children. It's evident in our participation of the Great Commission. Are we praying? Are we going? Are we giving? It's evident in the things that we write that other people are going to read. All the more reason to be very careful about the things you post on social media. Uh, of course, you know, it's evident in how we model a life of victorious faith in and obedience to God. Are our lives an example of unyielding obedience to Him or just compromise in favor of other considerations? You know, when my kids were little, they loved the movie Monsters, Inc., I mean, it's funny. In a world inhabited by monsters, the city of Monstropolis harvested the screams of human children for energy. Now, the work was considered dangerous because human children were believed to be toxic. And some of you here probably wouldn't disagree with that. Uh, but the, the two main characters, little one-eyed Mike Wazowski and big furry Sully Sullivan, discovered that children are actually delightful and that their laughter produces far more energy than screams. But that discovery got Mike and Sully into a bit of a predicament. And all the while, there's an agent of the Child Detection Agency, the gravel-throated Roz, who kept an, a watchful eye on them, constantly reminding them that she was always watching, always watching. Christians, whether you realize it or not, wherever you go, whatever you do, someone is always watching. They're watching to see how Christians are going to respond. How are you going to respond when the world squeezes you? In faith or in the flesh? See, the answer to that question is really going to determine the type of legacy that you're going to create for those who come behind you. Will it be a legacy of a faith that's approved by God? So in verses 1 through 2, we saw a faith that's assured in God. Then we saw a faith that's approved by God. But as we move on to verses 5 and 6, we're going to find another lesser-known biblical hero who demonstrated incredible faith. Uh, a Number three, faith that's appealing to God. Look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, 
It is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, there's a couple of truths about faith that come through pretty clearly in these two verses, okay? First of all, faith that pleases God makes us victorious. We see that in verse 5. The author of Hebrews referred to Enoch for his second example of a person who lived by faith. Enoch's story can be found in Genesis chapter 5. In fact, the entire chapter is really a genealogy that's preparing us for the story of Noah in chapters 6 through 9 of Genesis. But as we read through this, this genealogy, you know, we get the impression that after all this Cain and Abel business, uh, life seemed to go on fairly normally after that. You know, people were born, they grew up, they got married, had children, and then they grew really, really, really old, and then they died. And then boom, there's Enoch. We see him in verses 21 through 24 of, of Genesis 5. Well, what was so extraordinary about Enoch? Well, hello, he did not experience death. Taken from this life, nowhere to be found, the scripture says. After 365 years, God simply took him away. Y'all ever watch Star Trek? He got beamed up, y'all. Now, the, the, the fancy $10 preacher word is translated. He was translated from an earthly existence to a heavenly one. That's the theological term. Well, Genesis 5.24 describes Enoch as a man who walked with God. Well, what trait describes a person who walks with the Lord? Well, I mean... <laughs> It, it can't get more obvious. I mean, look at verse 6. Look at the whole chapter of Genesis 11. It's faith. Well, how are you and I told to walk in this life? Same way. Paul told the church at Colossae in Colossians 2.6, Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. Okay, well, how did we receive him? By faith. So how do we walk in him? By faith. We walk by faith, not by sight, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So because of his faith, Enoch went from walking with God in this life to walking with God in eternity. Now, while you're probably not going to experience the victory of skipping the death process and being translated straight from earth to heaven, uh, unless, of course, the return of Christ occurs in your lifetime, you can still rest assured that because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you are already victorious over sin and death, and you are going to share in Christ's glorious resurrection life, both now and in eternity. So faith that pleases God makes us victorious. Okay, but here's a question. How does our faith please him? Well, verse 6 gives us the answer. When we find that faith that exists makes us victorious. Uh, I'm sorry, faith that God exists makes us victorious. You know, like any good teacher, the writer of Hebrews here, he stops to emphasize his point and says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
Oh, and here's something else. Without faith, our works of service to the Lord, yeah, they're never going to happen. If we don't believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him, as it says in verse 6. See, we live the way we live because we know that God exists. And we do what we do because we are sure that God is there. We live to please God and to serve his church because we believe that God exists and that he's going to reward those who seek him. So verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay, so why is faith necessary for pleasing God? Well, I mean, he says it right here, okay? So it's in the Bible. God says faith is necessary. But also because faith is required if we're going to truly obey God. Think about Enoch's ancestors, Adam and Eve. You know, they didn't really act in faith. They didn't believe what God had told them about that tree in the middle of the garden business. Yeah, that didn't work out real well for them. Why is faith necessary? Because the requirement of faith allows us the ability to either choose God or to reject him. That's the way we create it. I mean, if we didn't have that choice, we would be robots, mindless automatons with no free will. But that's what makes our love for God genuine because we have the choice to love him or not. Faith is necessary for pleasing God because the presence of faith or the absence of it, which is disbelief in a person's life, that's how God judges who is justified and who is righteous. And on the flip side, who is condemned. And also because without faith, as I mentioned, our works are never going to happen. There's no motivation to do anything to serve the Lord if we don't believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So a faith that pleases God is one that believes he exists, one that believes he rewards those who seek him. But, but just what sort of rewards are we talking about here? What sort of rewards do we experience when we exercise our faith. Well, there's the spiritual rewards. There's intimacy with God, intimacy rather, with God. There is uh, power to fight the enemy, power to overcome sin, power to carry out God's plan for us. Of course, there's the eternal rewards. The Bible speaks of rewards, crowns that we'll be given in eternity, only given to the faithful. And of course, there's the ultimate reward, the eternal life that we're gifted by God because of our faith and the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. So the rewards are both spiritual and eternal. Here's something else, though. True faith has both a present and a future aspect, okay? God exists and he rewards those who have true faith live in confidence that he's going to reward them in the future. But also, they know that God is personal and that he is active on behalf of the faithful here in the present, giving us the power to walk victoriously by faith in this world. You read the scripture earlier, 1 John 5, 4, the apostle John wrote that everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. 
This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. You've sung it a zillion times in that old hymn. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Which really brings us full circle back to the big idea. My faith in God makes me victorious. Okay, but how do we live in response to that? Okay, how do we take that truth? How do we put feet to our faith? How do we live in response to what we've discussed this morning? Let me give you three action steps. These are just a, a springboard, a, a, a launching place. It's hardly an exhaustive list, but three simple things. First of all, trust. Okay, trust the Lord. Take a minute every day to verbally express your trust in God. To just say, God, today I choose to trust you. Now, you may not feel like trusting him, but you make that choice. God, I choose to trust you. So tell him that. Tell him you're going to trust him throughout the day. Tell him why you're going to trust him every day. Here's the second one. Study. Read the word. Now, with regard to this particular topic, uh, Old Testament stories of the men and women who are mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11, that's a great starting place. Read about their lives. Find out about how they expressed confident faith and trust in God. And consider taking notes, journaling the things that you observe in that study. And then here's a third thing. Encourage. Encourage one another. See, even as God has used the lives of those people in Hebrews chapter 11 to encourage us, we in turn should choose to be an encouragement to others, to somebody else. Encourage their faith and trust in Christ by telling them how you trusted Christ in a similar situation. Church, our entire life is about faith. Bible tells us in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, to have faith in God. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Paul, who's actually quoting Habakkuk 2, 4, says, the righteous will live by faith. Are you walking in a faith that's assured in God, approved by God, and appealing to God? Now, faith is how we're saved. That's really where it all begins Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For you're saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, the scripture says. If you have never come to faith in God through Jesus, you know, you, you might be sitting there thinking, what's the point? Really, what, what can this really do for me? What can faith do for me? You know what? That's a legit question. What exactly will faith do for you? Well, beyond the fact that, you know, faith in Jesus will save you from the penalty of sin and grant you eternal life with God in heaven, there are some certain things that faith does in the life of a believer. See, faith calms our fears. Faith cushions our falls. Faith confirms our future. It, it claims God's finest. It, it challenges our failures. Oh, and get this. Faith calls our friends. But what about you? I mean, have you answered God's call to faith 
in Christ Jesus? Have you accepted his gift of salvation? Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you, and you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.